Hello! Welcome to the Say More Words podcast. I am your host, Mika Taylor. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, today's song of the day is a deeper one because we're talking about a deeper topic today. So the song of the day is The House That Built Me by Miranda Lambert. And today's topic of the podcast is my story. It is one of those things that I forget people don't know. You know, I, 10 years ago, 10 years ago this November, actually, my husband and I packed up and left the Midwest to start a new life. And part of it was because we had just graduated with our doctorate and our master's. And part of it was to really, truly create a new image and name for ourselves, but specifically me. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and why that's important. Why am I telling you this now? Because it's important for you to understand the essence of who I am. And because my story is so very important, it's traumatic, it's colorful, it's all of these things. And I don't talk about it that much. It was actually, gosh, we had been in Texas for maybe seven years before anybody in Texas even knew what my past story was like. And so I'm telling you now, one, so that when I'm speaking and I'm like, oh, if you want to hear my story, you just go to this podcast number and listen to it. But two, it's important for you to kind of get a sense of who I am as a person and understand why I am the way that I am. And not in the sense of victim mode. It is, I today I'm going to be t- telling you a little bit about like my victim story, but it is the story that catapulted me to becoming a victor. I don't, I refuse to stay in the space of victim, even though I lived there comfortably for many, many years. Before I start telling the story though, I do want to tell you that um, if you have survived trauma and are triggered easily or triggered at all, um, this episode may be one that you wanna skip because I am going to be talking very deeply about my experience. So it's important for you to know that. It's also important for you to know that this is my experience and how I've processed through this journey and also what I have done on the other side of victimhood. And this is my story, my story alone. And I, it's interesting because I've, I've told this story many times and it's changed as I've healed, but there still have been people who have attacked me Uh, based off of my story or based off of my healing, or even um, quite interestingly enough, I've had um, parents or people that were in my life as family members who have attacked me for sharing uh, my, my story. And so this is mine. And there are many people who have created their own stories based off of this environment. And I'm just letting you know, again, this is mine. This is the most real and raw version of me. In fact, if you are watching the video right now, you can see, like I, you probably can't see it now, but I'll lift it up. I have my blanket with me. I have no makeup on because who knows if I'm gonna cry or not. And also I was just at Lux Skin Lab this morning getting my monthly facial done because while black does not crack, I'm making sure, taking extra care to make sure that my skin is taken care of. So shout out to Lux Skin Lab, not an ad, just one of my most favorite places that keeps my skin young and healthy. So raw face, I've got 
my sweats and my comfies on, my Beyonce shirt and my blanket, and to tell you this story. So this is the story of me. Um, and it's important, right? It is important. And so I hope that you enjoy it and learn a little bit more about me. So um, my name again is Tamika Taylor. I was originally Tamika Marchbanks. That's how I grew up. That's how I was brought into this world. I am the daughter of a retired Marine. That was my dad. And um, my mom worked in the hospital system. And I had what you can say is just like a normal childhood, except for it was military based. So we moved a lot. I have friends all over the country and I am so very blessed. And I think that's one of the things about my personality. People are like, you don't know a stranger. And I don't because I had to move and I had to adapt. I changed schools and I met a lot of people growing up in that way. And so my way of adapting was meeting as many people as possible. I was kind of a wanderlust and still have that wanderlust heart to this day. I love, love, love meeting new people. And I love that my heart exists all over the country and all over the world. Um, so I grew up all over the place. We landed in Galesville, Wisconsin, which is a really small town in Wisconsin where my mom grew up. And that's where I went to middle school. And when I was in high school, we transferred to West Salem. And so I went to West Salem High School. And actually, there's going to be another podcast episode about what it's like growing up black in a really small town with one of the people who um, I went to high school with. And I'm really excited about that episode. So I won't tell you about it now, but it's coming. So um, why why do I say all of this? I, I went from a military environment where everyone looked different to the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, where everyone looked the same and I was different. And that was an adjustment for me. It was an adjustment in the way that people treated me, the way that they showed up. If you have not listened to the Stella podcast yet, Stella was a couple episodes back and that was about my hair and my hair trauma and like my identity and about my hair and the way that my hair made me feel. As a biracial person um, and as an African-American female, my hair is very important and I was made fun of relentlessly because of my hair, but that's, that's a Stella episode. So important for you, another important information for you to know, I am biracial. My dad is African-American. My mom is uh, Caucasian and their relationship, even though it's common today, back in the eighties was not so common. And I can only imagine what their relationship was like. It was still so controversial back then, biracial relationships. It's still controversial today, but not as much. But being the biracial daughter of a biracial relationship had its challenges. And I, I felt like up until I was an adult that I didn't really belong in any world. I was somewhere between African-American and white. Uh, my formative years were sp spent in a white environment. And so I was often called a white African-American. It's, it's weird um, growing up black in a small town. I have always been me. I've always been loud. I've always been talkative. I've always uh, been the one that enjoyed people. And as we moved from place to place, that was my identity. And 
I grew up, like I said, in kind of what you would consider a normal home, right? My mom and dad were there. My dad was in and out because he went to war zones, um, but he would be overseas. He would be home. Uh, he lived kind of a life all over the world. And that's one of the things we connect on today is that that lust for experiencing worlds that we've never been to before. My parents had a very interesting relationship. They didn't know each other long before I came about. And, but they stayed together, got married, had three kids. I am the oldest of three, kind of moved all over. We settled in West Salem, Wisconsin, and that's where I went to high school. And um, through that space, you know, I, I went through identity things as, as, as any teenager does, right? I don't know why we don't properly prepare our teenagers for the reality of what their hormones do to their brain, what social society does to their brains, social norms, things like that. We don't prepare them, but also I think we're just never truly prepared because each teenage years or each generation is different. Um, but so I had just your standard teenage experience, you know, like I feel like every teenager is made fun of or they go through friend crisis and things like that, or they have a hard time at home. Um, and while I, liked high school. I was that kid that was in every group, you know, like <laughs> it's funny being an adult and being like, well, who were you in, in high school? And everyone here, like all of my friends are like, well, you must've been one of the popular ones. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I was considered popular, but I wasn't every group. I inserted myself in every group, right? I was in, I was an athlete, but I was also a theater kid and I was here and I loved emo music. And I loved, like, it was just, I was everywhere. And, but I could not wait to get out. I always felt trapped inside of the home that I was in. Like there was always this deep need for expression for me. Um, and I fought that for a long time. And it wasn't until college that I discovered who I was, who, how people saw me, actually not even college. I'm going to be honest. When I started writing my book three years ago, I started interviewing people from high school, from middle school, from college, from now. And they all described me the same way. They all saw me how I am today, but it took me forever for me to just see me the way that I am today, who I am is, and really acknowledge and embrace and in love the version of myself I am today. And that loud, that happy, that friends with everybody, you know, I spent a lot of time feeling like a wallflower or feeling like I didn't belong or feeling like people didn't want me around partially because of the environment that I was in and growing up in. Now, not to like put my parents' stuff all over the place is they had a difficult relationship. They had a very colorful relationship. And when I went to college, I felt free of that environment. And I am very conscious of that because, you know, as adults, we're only doing the best that we can. As parents, we're only doing the best that we can. We And I don't think up until now, you know, now that we have the internet and everyone's in everybody's faces, back then they didn't realize how much their relationships affected how their kids grew or how, or like what, what relationships they chose as adults based off of the relationships you saw modeled inside of your home. And my parents had what you could call a very colorful relationship and they each had their vices. And the whole point of this podcast is not to blow them up, but it's to acknowledge that they each had their own stories. And when I was in college, my parents were getting divorced. And quite honestly, 
it sounds terrible, but that was the best thing that they could have done for each other. They weren't good together. They didn't have a really strong relationship. And it was just, it was going to be a really good thing. And it ended up not being a really good thing. And it, it became scary. And my parents each both have, um, were struggling with some, some, some mental things. And it did not matter how much I reached out to outsiders, um, other family members or anything like that for help. You could see the dramatic decline in their relationship. My dad was court ordered out of the home. Things were blowing up. And so when I was 21 years old, the thing, you know, the house that built me that is by Miranda Lambert, that song actually came out that year. So that was like traumatic for me to not give you too many details because the details don't matter knowing that the event happened. So when I was 21, I went home for spring break and in a very drunken misunderstanding, my, my father was blackout drunk. He um, committed uh, quite a few crimes in front of me and my sister, uh, one of which includes setting the house on fire with us trapped inside. It all stemmed from an argument that my parents were having. And in that moment, I just did the best that I could. So I was able to save my mom and I was able to save my sister with the help of the very wonderful gentleman by the name of Jim Page. I was saved from the house and the firefighter saved us and we lost our house. We lost everything that night. Um, and that is, you know, that's my trauma moment. As a trauma kid, there's my trauma moment. Watching my dad um, cause bodily harm to my mother and then potentially killing us inside of our home. That night, my father was shot, airlifted to the, to the hospital to be saved. And um, my mom was rushed to the hospital to, to also save her life. It was a lot is the best way that I can put it. And at 21 years old, um, having lost everything, we went into this space of, well, what do we do now? And when you experience trauma and something like that, and something that's so very, and, and here's so very public, because here's the thing, I, it was, I grew up in a small town of 4,000 people. And so that night, uh, my one of my very best friends saved my life. He's my best friend now because he saved my life. Um, Officer Page saved my life and now he is family to me. That night though, because it's a small town and most of the firefighters were volunteer, I got to stand there and watch my friend's dads and uncles try and put out a fire of my house. And so like it was everywhere. Everybody knew before the news could even report on it uh, that it had happened. And when you grow up in a small town and something dramatic like that happens, everyone talks and asks questions or wants to know. And you know what? I get it. You know, you, you want to drive past a train wreck slowly because you want to see what's happening. And that's exactly what happened. Everyone wanted to know. And my seemingly normal life became very unnormal. And for, you know, like it was, it took a year for my dad to get sentenced and put to jail. I was the only one that testified against him from our family because my sister was too young. My mom didn't want to, which fair. I testified against my dad and put my dad in jail with a strict no contact order and with the sense of like, I never want to see you again. 
because he had inflicted this harm on me. And it was so easy and so comfortable to be a victim in that moment. And I say that because it's very important to understand that staying a victim is a choice. And I stayed a victim for a really long time. I allowed that space to define who I was. I allowed the trauma to define who I was. But in that same sense, too, I spent a lot of time healing. One of the most magical things that happened to me is that I became so very abundantly aware of who my people were and who my people were not. The people who were for me showed up in droves. I, you know, still to this day, I get kind of choked up thinking about all of the people who showed up to protect us, to protect me, to protect my family, and all of the people who just sat and talked about us in the background. Um, but we, again, small town values, the community showed up in droves and really made it that, so that we had the ability to heal and move on. Um, so that summer we actually ended up buying a new home. We were able to furnish the home with fundraising that had come through and insurance money and things like that. But I had experienced 10,000 years of life in six months. I had to grow up over overnight and have to answer questions and be on TV and and represent the family and answer the question. It just it was interesting and it was hard and we were court ordered therapy. Thank God. Right. Thank God they court ordered it because. I'm not. I can see why some victims refuse to go to therapy because it's scary to talk about that stuff over and over again. You know, it was up until, gosh, I think I was still having nightmares up until five years ago, not consistently. Uh, the first couple of years, it was consistent. And then every now and then they would pop back up. But I lived in, in a very dark space for a really long time. Living in the space of like, why me? Why did this happen? What am I supposed to do? Of course, this would happen to me. Nothing good ever happens to me because that was the narrative that I told myself growing up. Like life was not easy. Nothing good was ever going to happen for me. I was always going to have to struggle. Um, nothing was ever going to come easy. No one was ever going to love me. And when I look back now on that space, I realized that while that event was so traumatic, it showed me exactly what love is and exactly what love is not. So talking about, I've said, you know, staying in victim mode or in getting out of victim mode, I stayed in victim mode for a long time because it was comfortable and it, it felt safe because people were protecting me in that space, but I wasn't moving. I wasn't excelling. I wasn't doing anything. So the story I used to tell was that my dad wanted to harm us and he did everything possible to try and harm us. And he wanted to kill us that night. And that was my victim story, right? Like he wanted to kill us. In fact, I, that all happened in March of 2010. I met my now husband in May of 2010. And can you imagine meeting somebody, taking them out on a date, and then being having them be like, okay, well, that was a really nice experience, but let me tell you all the bullshit that's happening in my life right now, and you can choose to stay or go. But this is what's happening. And I will never forget when I told him the story because I told him in great detail. And afterwards, he goes, okay. Um, all right, well, thanks for sharing. I hope you have a good night. Click. 
I will never forget it because I did tell him, I'm like, you can choose to stay or you can choose to go. I get it. It's a lot to deal with. You weren't expecting this uh, from the pretty fun girl, right? You weren't expecting this. And sure enough, the next morning he was like, I, I researched you. I looked at the, I looked up the videos. I, I watched all the videos. I read all the news articles and I guess you're telling the truth. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of shitty, huh? And he's like, yeah, but I think I can handle it. And he did, he did handle it very well. Um, including going to court with us every single time. Um, so anyways, my, that was my story, right? Like he wanted to harm us and it wasn't until gosh, probably four years ago now, three or four, five, well, about five years ago when my nightmare stopped, when I started to re navigate the story, when I started to look at it a little bit deeper, um, since then, you know, we don't have contact with my mom, which is fine. Um, and people are like, Oh, that's shocking. And that was very shocking to our, our community as well. But eventually she went on to live her own life. And that is her story. Um, that is her journey to take. And that is okay. And that, that journey taught me that family isn't just blood. And sometimes your blood family will go. And sometimes it's just really good to separate yourself from people who are negative or bring you down, even if they are family. So her leaving while traumatic at the time and was a very big victim story for me was actually really, really good for me in the long run. When I got out of victim mode, because victim mode was getting me nowhere. It was uncomfortable. Um, I was not excelling. I was unhappy. When I started to realize the story and think about the story and think about what had happened that night and what had transpired, I started to realize that one, my parents were always just doing the best that they could. And even if that best wasn't for me. And two, that night, while I do not agree, my dad was in a space in which he was losing his family. And he was so passionate and so scared and did not know what to do. And also very, very drunk um, that he acted on passion of losing his kids, on losing his home, on losing everything. And I do not agree with his reaction, uh, but I can tell you that if somebody were to try to take my kids away from me, uh, I, I think I would go into a state of shock as well. And I think that's where he was. He was very much in a state of shock. And truly, I think it did take me having my own kids to understand like the amount of passion that your parents have for you. My dad was never the emotional parent. He made sure to provide for the family. And that was what he provided to our home. And we didn't have those emotional conversations. So we didn't have an emotional connection. And so it made sense to me as a 20, made sense to me as a 21 year old that he would do that. Now as a parent, I makes more sense to me that he would react in such a big way because he was not emotional. He did not talk about his emotions. He didn't acknowledge them and they all ruptured all in one night. So like I said, I don't agree with what he did but I do understand getting myself out of victim mode took me to that level to be able to see him and see who he was and see what was happening in his life and seeing that his world was crumbling. And that sometimes when we don't work on our emotions, that's what ends up happening. And it's, it was hard. It was hard for me to separate him as a human, him as a parent, all of his roles and all of those things and acknowledge it at that time because I was hurting so 
badly. And I hurt for so many years because his actions just proved further to me the narrative in my head that I was unlovable and that nobody would love me and that nobody would want me around and that nobody would keep me safe and protected. And so I struggled with that for many, many years. And it wasn't until I learned more about myself that I could get grace to myself, but then also give grace to my parents that they are two individual, they were two individuals trying to make it work and figure it out. And it just did not work. And their did not work was explosive and it was traumatic. And it caused an entire rupture of our families, not just my immediate family, but my extended family. There was a complete break immediately because of this event. And it was traumatic and it was terrible, but it was two people doing life imperfectly. And when I could get grace for myself, I could get grace for my parents. And it sucks. It sucks that they could not be the parents that I needed them to be, but I can't continue living being mad at them. And so eventually I had to forgive them. And that's exactly what I did. I forgive both of them. I went through this really deep forgiveness activity and I still go through this forgiveness activity and journey because still things still come up. Sometimes I get really upset and sometimes I cry about it. And sometimes I wish, right? I wish that my life could be what it used to be. I wish it could be, you know, just, I wish that I could call my parents. Um, That was a big thing when I was having kids. I wish I could call my parents and ask questions. Um, because having kids made me want to start studying generational trauma and studying, you know, where in the family lines, all of this comes from, where did the anger come from? Where did the money issues come from? Like where, what is all of this? So I started studying generational trauma really heavy because of this environment. And because I started studying that it helped get me from victim to victor as well. So studying my, myself gave, and then starting to like, look at my parents as individuals, I I was able to give them grace and I was able to forgive them. And then this really cool thing happened. My friend, Michelle is like the most gentle, fun, warm, loving person on the planet. And one time she came to my office and I don't know why we started talking about my dad. This was in 2021. I don't know why we started talking about my dad, but she was like, you really need to forgive him and you should write him. My dad's been in prison. He was given a 25 year sentence with no contact. Um, and I was like, and like, she, she got really aggressive about it. She's like, you really need to take care of this because it's weighing you down. And I was like, what? And uh, okay. And I went home that night and I poured myself a very big glass of whiskey and I sat down after everyone went to bed and I wrote my forgiveness letter that I typically tear up and destroy and plant in pretty flowers. Um, I don't typically send my forgiveness letters to people because it's not about them. It's about you. Um, but I wrote it out and it was pages long and I sent it using the PO box address, return address that for the PO box that was down the street that I've been paying for, for years. And I still to this day couldn't tell you what was in that letter. I know that I told him that, uh, what I had accomplished because that was a really big thing for my dad. He would always brag on us. Now he wasn't big on emotions, but he would brag on us if we did things well. And so what that did for me is it taught me to perform and it taught me to be really good at things because if I was really good at something, he would praise that for us. And so I know the very first thing that I wrote out 
was all of the things that I had accomplished in spite of, right? I still graduated from college. I still got my master's degree. I still got all of these certifications. I moved to Texas. I got all of these jobs. I started my own company. I got married. I have kids. Like I basically, it was like a laundry list of all of the things that I had done since he had left. And since he had left, like he had a choice. And in that forgiveness letter, I sent it and it released everything for me. Uh, I, things in my career started to explode. Things in the way that I think started to change. I started to experience more joy again. I, um, I started to release that victim mentality even more and go to the victor. I changed the narrative of my story. And that's a thing. You can change the narrative of your story. Terrible things happen to us. Yes, right? Like terrible things can happen to you. And you can sit in that space for a while, but you can't stay there. You can't live there. You can't wallow. You can change the narrative. It is shocking to people. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that really sucked, but it was a really great thing for me. It released a lot. I actually had a mentor once go, wow, like you truly are a phoenix. You rose from the ashes. And while that's cheesy, yes, it's true. I am a phoenix. I rose from the ashes because here's the deal. Had I gotten into heavy drinking or drugs or become a stripper or done anything that was self-deprecating, people wouldn't have blamed me. They would have been like, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, that terrible thing happened to her. That makes sense. But because I'm successful, they're shocked. They're like, how did you do that? What did you do? People every day ask me for advice and wonder why I'm so happy. Here's the deal. All of that terrible shit happened to me, but it's not who I am as a person. I refuse to identify as the person who almost got killed by her dad. I refuse to identify as the kid that got abandoned. What I do choose to identify is as an adult who is super fun and joyous and really great to be around. And people do want to be in my space and I'm filled with love and I'm filled with joy because I know that the people who are in my life choose to be there, but I also choose for them to be there. They get to be there. I get to love people all over the world. I get to experience joy every day. I get to because I survived that terrible thing. That thing didn't kill me. It could have. It could have killed me, my mom, my sister. It did kill one of my dogs. That was terrible. It could have, but it didn't. I survived. And that is one of the most beautiful things to think about and be in that space of holy shit. Like I survived. And because I survived, I refused to stay in a space of wallowing. I don't believe that the universe and God and Jesus and whatever you believe in, that's fine. But that's what I believe in. And I don't believe that terrible things happen to people not on purpose. It's so funny when everything was happening, I was not religious at that point. And I will never forget, I cannot tell you his name. I know that he was in a, and he was the religious guy that did not care about um, telling you all about his religion. Up north, that's not a common thing. Down south, that's a common thing. But up north, it's not a common thing. And after everything happened, he called me. And I will never forget it. I was sitting in the car and he's like, I just want to be able to pray for you. And I was like, okay. And he goes, I want you to know, and it's really hard to hear, but God wanted this to happen. 
He's going to use this in such beautiful ways. And I remember being so pissed. I now understand his sentiment, but at the time, that's not how you say it. You don't say to a victim that he wanted this to happen to you. But I get it why it did. I get why it had to happen. I get that it's part of my story and part of my purpose. Had it not happened, I'd probably still be in the Midwest. I would probably be a little nervous with my dad's attitude and behaviors at the time. Uh, I'd be looking over my shoulder. I'd be scared. I'd be all of these things. Um, I wouldn't be who I am today had it not happened. And so I like to live in that space of, thank God it happened because. So I, I rewrote the story. I changed the narrative of what it means to me. I talked to people about it and I changed the narrative of what my relationship with my father looks like. So I wrote the letter and he wrote me back and I will never forget. And it's still like, it's still hard for me to talk about this aspect um, because I got a letter two weeks later and I will never forget I got it and I brought it home and I just cried. I couldn't even open it. I just cried. And because he wrote me back and we hadn't talked in 10 years at that point, 10 years. He had not heard from me. Uh, he had heard from one of my sisters, but he had not heard from me. Uh, he didn't know what I was doing and it hurts. It makes me cry because I just think about um, having my kids out there in the world for 10 years, not knowing if they're okay, if they need something. And what's so funny is that the first thing he asked in his letter was if I needed anything. Did I need money? Was I okay? Um, was I taken care of? Because that's what a parent does. And so from parent to parent, I do, I get teared up thinking about what his life was like when that letter came through. And he did tell me once um, the joy that sprung because the letter showed up because he said to me, I always knew you would show up. I always knew you would come. I knew you would come around eventually. And so since then, um, that was two years ago and my father and I have a really good relationship. I have since gone to visit him. He calls weekly. The kids have met him via Skype or via Zoom. Skype, what was that? Via Zoom. Because, you know, the one cool thing that the pandemic did give us was the ability to, um, FaceTime and Zoom into the jail and speak with our loved ones that way instead of being able to go visit them. So he's met my children. He's met my husband. Uh, we have a really good relationship and having a relationship with him now has allowed me to heal more parts of the victim's story, understand him as an adult, as opposed to a child trying to understand an adult, understand where he was coming from. The worst part about it is he doesn't remember anything from that night, not even a little bit. And so, um, that, that is a, a layer of hurt for me as well in trying to understand what it felt like for him waking up in the environment he was in. So that's my story. And, and you know, that, that's the story of the house that built me and the moment that built me, uh, but it's not who I am. It helped catapult me to who I am. I love people probably more than the average person. I love hearing people's stories. I love hearing people's hurt and talking through that hurt with them. I love 
um, joy and happiness. And one of the things that I preach, and you'll hear, you've probably heard it before and you'll hear it again. I wake up every day and choose to be happy because it's actually easier for me to be pissed off. It's easier for me to be mad. And it's, it's not saying that I don't get mad or angry or uncomfortable or have my moments because I'm only hashtag human and it pops up. But every day I wake up and I choose joy. I choose happiness. I choose to not lay in the mellow knit, like the icky, icky, low vibration of the colorful story of who I was. I'm telling it to you because people think that I'm fake. They think that the joy that I exude, the things that I talk about, the life that I live, they think it's fake and it's not. It's curated. It's on purpose. I choose to be joyful. I choose to be happy. I choose to look for the good side in things, even when shit is hitting the fan. Because here's the deal. When life is full of plot twists, is it truly a plot twist or is that just the plot? There's so many times people are like, well, plot twist, this bad thing is happening. Plot, plot twist, this bad thing is happening. And yes, bad things happen in threes, but good things happen by the thousands. You've heard me say that before and you'll hear me say it again. Bad things happen in threes, but good things happen by the thousands. But people focus on the bad. I choose to focus on the thousands. I choose to focus on the good things, the, the heartfelt things, the the wonderful things in this world. And, and when bad things are happening, I hold people softer because the worst has happened to me. Terrible things have happened to me. And so when bad things happen to other people, I choose to hold them close and soft and with kindness because I get it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about me. And here's the thing that people don't like about me is I I don't let you stay there. I don't let you stay in the wallowing. I don't let you stay in that space because it's uncomfortable and nothing good comes from it. But good things come from rewriting the story. I'm not telling you that you have to jump out the next day and change it. Be sad. Feel your feelings. Feel your emotions, feel what your body is. Find somebody like me to hold you so very close. And if you need it to be me, call me, I will. I will hold you so very close and allow you the space because there are so many people who think that we need to pivot out of bad right away. We don't. You have to feel it. You have to be in it. But then you have to get out of it. You have to have the courage to be like, this is not who I am. This is not the story I'm willing to tell. And this is not who I'm going to continue to be. I've often been called a light that walks into a room, the joyful person. Why? Because I choose to be. Because that's easier for me and it's more comfortable for me than being sad and being mad or even holding grudges because people have left me. You know, as a kid who struggles with abandonment, I love to bring people closer, bring them closer to my heart, give them the space to be seen, heard, and felt, and move on. My story is the story of what got me to who I am today. And I'm not telling you something traumatic has to happen in your life in order to be happy. Oh, no, 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 no. It does not. If you are one of the lucky ones who has not had something traumatic happen for to you, I love that for you. But just know that your pains are valid. 
they are so valid. But what's not valid is staying in them for years and years and years and forever and ever and ever. Okay. One of the greatest things I did was when people reached out the helping hand, I grabbed it. One of the hardest things for me in my life is to ask for help, to ask for handouts, to ask, not, not that I'm asking for handouts regularly, right? Um, but to get to accept the help that people give me. And in that space, I had no, we had, not just me, my entire family, we had, there was nothing else we could do but get help, receive the help, receive love, unconditional love from the people around us, people who didn't have to help us, people who didn't need to be in our space. I received unconditional love like I have never received before during that time and after. Still to this day, people hold me so close. I get flowers on the anniversary of that date. That date used to be so dark for me. I would cry for days and days. When the date would come up March 29th, I would run and hide. I, I, would, I would hide under a blanket and I would be in the space of sadness. And now I rejoice on that day. In fact, actually one of my favorite parts of that day is being able to love on Officer Page who saved me. Because he has a story too, and we'll get him here on the podcast. He doesn't know it yet, but we'll get him here on the podcast because that night changed his entire life too. It changed everything for the career that he worked really hard to be as a police officer. And so, but the best thing about him is that he's filled with joy too. He has had a colorful life since then. And we both live in immense joy and gratitude for the fact that we're still here. We still get to love and we still get to be happy on the days that we choose. Um, so when you see me out, when you see me show up and you see me happy and you see me laughing and crying at the same time, which is weird to some people, but normal for me, just know that that like it's real because I choose it to be because I could choose to be a curmudgeon but I'm choosing to be happy and joyful and something that most people don't understand. And that's okay. So when you listen to the podcast and you move forward on the podcast and you hear things and maybe my joy or my, my raunchy mouth sometimes, or the sense of humor that I have, or you hear me make a joke about fire, just know uh, it comes from a sincere place of joy and gratitude for the terrible things that happened and the wonderful person I get to be because they did and the choice that I made. So it's a little bit of a heavier podcast episode and I get it. And, and, and I want you to know that I'm not looking for your sympathy. Whenever I tell my story, people come in with sympathy and I don't, and I don't, I don't need it. I'm good. Thank you. I appreciate it though. I do. I appreciate your sympathy. I'm good. I'm healed. It happened. Then it's not happening now. Um, but it's beautiful. And if you want to, you, you're probably going to want to Google it. So you can just Google my maiden name in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and you'll probably find, I'm sure there's videos out there still, and there's pictures out there still. One beautiful thing too, um, that just filled my heart is that they rebuilt the house and actually a builder bought it, uh, after it went down because the basement was still good and that meant the plumbing and everything. And they rebuilt the house and it looks almost exactly the same, except it's just a different color. So, uh, there's a new family creating a new story inside of that space. And that makes me very happy as well. You know, like, and I want you to know that if you have a trauma, 
that has was so hard for you to process and go through, but you have a story you want to tell, send me a message. I would love to hear it because truly it was telling my story in a different light that allowed me to heal through it faster. There's power in stories. There's powers in, power in words. You heard it when we had the conversation with Bajal. There's power in our stories. And that's all I've chosen to do as I've, I've chosen to take something terrible and make it wonderful. So that's it. There's my story. You might hear sprinkles of it going forward. You might hear different stories or different things in the podcast that relate to it, but it is important for you to understand that it's important for you to understand the house that built me. So I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening. And next week, I promise we'll be a little bit peppier. Have a great day.